There are a lot of things that intrigue me as I think about this image that Mark paints for us of Jesus in the garden. I've mentioned over the last few weeks this one of those, I guess one of the surprising things is how brutally honest Jesus is when he prays. And Mark is brutally honest with us about the struggle that Jesus has in coming to grips with what the Father is asking of him. He is in agony and tears and there's almost a sense of when you read this, it's, it's a little bit of a concern that Jesus is going to fall apart. But one of the things that I think may surprise me as much as anything is that here you have the Son of God praying this most desperate, this most agonizing and and honest prayer, pouring out his heart to the Father. And when the dust settles, he doesn't get what he asked for. Jesus says, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, that's what I want. Father, it's not that I don't want to be the savior of the world, but isn't there another way that doesn't involve all of the agony of body, soul, and spirit that is being asked of me? And the answer is no. I think that And Jesus seems to be okay with that. He moves on, and as the uh, scenes unfold in the next uh, verses and chapters, we find Jesus willingly going to the cross. And I think it's because underlying everything that Jesus prays here, everything that Jesus says, all the agony of soul and mind and body and spirit that Mark paints for us here of Jesus... Underlying all of that is the attitude in which Jesus offers this prayer. And I think it is, it is summed up in the sentence in which Jesus says, here's what I want. Here's what I'm asking of you. Here's what I'd like to see happen. Is this possible? And then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. Now, sometimes we we use that phrase as sort of a um, as sort of a, uh, a scapegoat for prayers that we pray that are kind of bold and courageous. You know, we pray for God to do something totally miraculous outside of anything that else that could have happened, and then we put this as a tag on the end, just sort of to protect ourselves in case it doesn't. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is simply, we're simply seeing in Jesus the attitude, the heart, the foundation of his prayer. And it is not that his will would be done, but that the Father's would be done. And there is in this prayer a spirit of surrender, or as some of the ancients have called it, of relinquishment. That is the foundation for what Jesus prays here. And I'm convinced it is an imperative to be the foundation for our prayers, whatever they may be. 
Because surrender is not just something about which we pray. It is the way we're called to live. When we start talking about prayer, the prayer of surrender or the prayer of relinquishment... And this being not just a prayer, but the way we live, it's going to, we know, one of the reasons we wrestle with that is because we know it's going to mean sacrifice, giving up some things that we would rather not give up, walking paths that we would rather not walk, and we tend to fight that. We want our rights. We want life to be easy and convenient. I mean, it's human nature. We all want that. We're continually making decisions toward that. And it's right, I mean, as opposed to us making decisions that are are intentionally painful for us. And we say, well, just hit me with more. I mean, no one should live that way. But we tend to want to escape. But if we're going to pray the prayer of surrender, if we're going to live a life of surrender and relinquishment, it's going to mean that we begin to start giving up that need, that desire to escape. And to give up our rights. Whenever I hear people talk about Christian rights, one of the first things that comes to my mind anymore is that I I think that's an oxymoron. Because I, I think to be Christian is to give up our rights. It is to give up living life the way I want. Because the whole point of being Christian is living our lives the way God wants. I've been thinking about what that means for us. And I'm thinking about my own life. And my mind flashed back many years, to uh, the struggle I had in my heart about what I was going to do with my life. Some of you may have, I know, have heard me say this before, but, you know, being a minister is sort of the family business for me. Uh, I I think I was the 11th person in my family to become a minister. Uh, You know, it's it's what we all do. Uh, it's what we did, you know, it's, it's kind of the thing that you grew up with. And I don't know how many times I had people say to me when I was young, so when you're going to grow up, you're going to be a pastor like your dad. And I would smile and say, well, I don't know. But inside I was saying, are you kidding me? I want weekends off. I, I don't want to do that. I mean, I want to be a Christian because I realized I'd grown a bit of church enough. I realized that the opposite of that wasn't good. So, I mean, I wanted to be a Christian. I still want to be that much of a Christian maybe. And so I fought that for a good portion of my life, an early part of my life. And, you know, God, in his grace, directed me, got me to a college that was good for me and let me explore that. But I spent the first more than a year and a half of my time in college undeclared in my major because I didn't want to be in ministry. So I was trying everything I could think of. And, you know, there were... Many of those things, it was obvious that that was not the field I should enter. I had some professors who told me that this is not the field you should enter. You know, you, you don't want to be an accountant. No one wants you to be an accountant. Just, just lay that right out, right up front. Believe me, that is not the direction you want to go. And I can still remember the wrestling of that. And one morning, 
early in the morning of the spring of my sophomore year of college, kneeling at the couch in the apartment where I lived and saying, okay, God, I know this is what you want me to do. I surrender. And as soon as the office opened, I went and declared my major. Now, what's interesting is that we think of surrender meaning now the handcuffs have been put on and we've lost our freedom. But I can tell you from experience, that's when the handcuffs came off. That's when I began to experience life. Because no longer was my, was, was my life absorbed with fighting God and being unwilling to surrender to him. Now I could just relax and, and, and live. And, and the journey from that moment has had its ups and downs, as everything does. But it has been the right thing for me. Just as whatever God's direction for you is the right thing for you. And, and it, is, it, it became joy and freedom and life. And I, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I was set free in that moment. It's what surrendering, it's what relinquishing does for us. It's not hindering our lives, it's setting us free. Because we are surrendering, we are relinquishing our prayers and our lives to Abba Father, the one who loves us, who wants what's best for us, who always wants the very best for us. And a part of our struggle is believing that to be true. Something in us wants to believe that we know better what's best for us than God does. That we are better at looking out for our interests than he is. Because yes, we know he loves us, but we really know what loving us is about more than he does. So we're a lot like children who want to go play in the highway and we get upset because our parents come and drag us out of the road and yell at us and punish us and are adamant with us about it if we don't really believe that what our parents are doing is in our best interest we'll just keep playing in the highway no one's going to tell me i'm going to do what i want and we think that's freedom we think we know best But it's only because we don't understand the love of our parents. And the prayer of relinquishment, the life of surrender, is is giving ourselves to our loving Heavenly Father. And yes, He is demanding sometimes. There there are times where we want it. We talk about God probably more more like a grandfather than a father. And, and we have this image in our minds that, that God loves us, and if he loves us, he'll never demand anything of us. It's because he loves us that he demands from us. It's because he loves us that he calls us to things that we may rather not do. Because ultimately, those things are leading us to what is best. 
And the prayer of surrender is relinquishing our rights. It's relinquishing our lives. It's relinquishing the things that we are praying about into his perfect loving arms. And the question is, do we trust him enough to do that? Do we really believe he's good and merciful like he says he is? Ultimately, we surrender, we will only surrender to the image of God as he declares himself to be. And our struggle is we have an image of God that we have created in our own minds. And the image of God as he claims himself to be is as he says to the Israelites, he is compassionate and patient and loving and slow to anger and abounding in love and merciful and gracious and good and faithful and trustworthy. It is this God who sends Christ to the cross for us. This is the God we're surrendering to. This is the God we're relinquishing our lives to. We aren't relinquishing. He's he's not a... He's not a demanding tyrant. He's not even a benevolent dictator. He's our perfect, loving Father. And as we are reminded over and over again, as Jesus tells his disciples and talking to them about the prayers that they offer, if you who are parents and you're far from perfect know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? your Father in heaven, who loves you. It's a call to trust. Richard Foster tells about a friend of his who kept asking him to come to the town where she lived and do a seminar on the prayer of inner healing. And he kept refusing her request. He said, you know, there were people in the town where she lived who were very gifted and qualified to do that. And he just really, he didn't, he just really wanted somebody else to do it. He didn't want to do it. But she kept asking him. She kept badgering him. And finally he said, all right, let's make me coming to do this prayer seminar, uh, let's make that an object of prayer. And go home. If, don't say anything to anyone but God. And if within the next week or so, six people ask you about doing this kind of seminar, then I'll come and do it. So about a week later, he gets a phone call from this woman, and she said, I haven't said anything to anyone but God, and I've had 12 people ask if we could do this seminar. He said, now you've got to understand, I didn't tell her to do, pray like that because I was trying to discern the will of God. I just figured I could get out of it. I mean, where, how would six people ask her about it, much less 12? She said, okay, so he came. They met in this uh, friend's home. There were 15 social workers there that she worked with. And as they got started, one of the gentlemen in the group said to the group, look, let me, let me just say this up front. Uh, I want you all to be, to be uh, patient, gentle with me, because I'm not one of you. It was his way of telling them, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a believer. 
And they were very gracious in their response to him. Foster says over the course of those few days together, they really sensed the spirit of God coming upon them and doing a mighty work in that small group of people as they talked and prayed and met. The spirit was so evident and, and, and so tender with them that when Sunday afternoon came around, that same gentleman said to the group, I'm wondering if you all would pray that, that I might know Jesus the way you guys know Jesus. And they said they all sort of sat there in silence for a moment. It was one of those, one of those holy type moments. It just seemed like they needed a little bit of time and space to, to let that sort of work itself out. And then one of the other men in the group got up and walked over to this man and put his hands on his shoulders. And Foster said he prayed one of the most profound prayers he's ever heard. He said, I felt like taking my shoes off. It was, it was a holy moment. And what was so fascinating is that this guy prayed a television commercial. He, he began to pray and, and reference one of those Nestle commercials where people are out on a sweltering hot day, sweat pouring off of them, and they pick up a glass of cold Nestle, and as they tip back to drink it, they fall back into a swimming pool of water. And as they hit the water, you hear them go, And he said he prayed that this gentleman would, would be able to simply fall back like that into the arms of Jesus. Just let go. And this man began to weep and sob. And he opened his heart to Jesus. And he told the group later that that imagery touched an old memory he had of when he was baptized as a child. And his life was changed. There is something of the prayer of surrender, of relinquishment, the attitude of our prayer, in that imagery of just falling back into the arms of Jesus. But we only fall back into the arms of someone we trust. Someone whom we believe will be able to catch us and hold us and will always be there for us. And that is one of the things that this table is communicating to us. As we gather at this table, as we eat and drink, we are brought face to face with the reality of who God is in Christ the depths of his love for us, and that we are surrendering, we are relinquishing whatever we're praying about in our lives to the one who loves us with such such depth that he would go to the cross for us. We are relinquishing ourselves to the one who relinquished everything for you and for me, for all of us.
And this table brings us face to face with a God who is love and compassion and mercy and who is inviting us, whatever we're wrestling with, inviting us to just fall back into his arms, to surrender, to let go, to relinquish whatever it is we're struggling with. We're going to take a few moments just for some silent meditation. You may be struggling this morning with a particular thing, a circumstance, a person, an issue. You you may be struggling just with your life and surrendering it to Christ. Maybe you're struggling with something you sense God is calling you to do. In these next few moments, what a perfect time to fall back into the arms of Jesus and to surrender, to relinquish all of that to him. Father, open our eyes to your great love for us. Help us to see the depths of your love for us in even Christ willingly choosing to go to the cross. And give us the grace, give us the courage to fall back into your arms and to find you faithful. Father, we pray that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup, that as we eat and drink, This will be food for our souls. That we will be struck anew by your great love for each of us. We pray this through Christ. Amen.